Well, in the beginning of the 20th century, ships ruled the world. Uh, there wasn't yet any commercial airline. And so if you wanted to get from one continent to another, if you wanted to cross the sea in any way, you had to go by boat. And the ships were getting bigger and more luxurious and more desirable than ever before. So on the 10th of April in 1912, the ship's name that stirred up the greatest desire and excitement was the name, can anyone guess? Titanic. The Titanic's reputation was so great that people actually paid up to 512 pounds for its first seven-day voyage. Now, if you were to put that in today's terms, that was 110,000 Australian dollars to do a seven-day trip on a boat. That's pretty crazy. No other ship had a reputation for being bigger, more luxurious, more desirable, or more unsinkable than the Titanic. Actually, so much stock was placed in its reputation as unsinkable, so much confidence that the captain actually said even God couldn't sink the RMS Titanic. But as we know, that reputation wasn't the reality. Only five days later, the Titanic sank to the bottom of the ocean. And so now as we hear the name Titanic, it's taken on a completely different reputation, hasn't it? A completely new name with a completely new meaning. It's become a bit of a warning, hasn't it? A warning against placing too much stock in reputation instead of the reality of the thing itself. Well, we're looking at the moment at the book of Revelation, uh, which is a letter that, that Jesus has given to his churches. And here we're looking at what Jesus has given is a bunch of little report cards uh, to his churches. He cuts through kind of the outward appearance and the reputation and the hype of each church, and he gives the true perspective on how the churches are really going. The good, the bad, the ugly... He gives warnings and encouragements. And Jesus shows that not all churches are equal. Some churches are faithful. Some are just going through the motions. Some churches are serious about living to please God and others are seriously compromising. Some churches hold to the truth and others openly tolerate false teaching. Some churches are working hard to be godly while others are pursuing immorality. Well, today we look at Jesus' report on a church that had a reputation like the Titanic had when it was first launched. A church that, like the Titanic back on that day in 1912, had a reputation as the place to be. The best, the most vibrant, the most alive church going. But sadly, just like the Titanic, the reputation that this church had didn't actually match the reality of what was underneath. Have a look there at the end of verse 1. Jesus says to Sardis, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? <laughs> now, we're not exactly sure what gave them the reputation of being alive. 
Uh, but my hunch is that it's probably the same kind of things that we might look to today as giving a church the reputation of being alive. It may well have had big numbers and, and growing numerically. They probably had lively and vibrant gatherings. They might have had amazing music. They probably had leaders with great charisma. Might have had extensive social welfare programs. They might have been doing a lot in the community to help people in need. Maybe they even had barista coffee, you know, with that kind of latte art that even Rembrandt would be proud of. Maybe not. <laughs> but this church, for whatever reason, what they were doing had led to a reputation that this was a live and happening and vibrant church. But what was the problem? Have a look there at the end of verse 2. Jesus says, I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Point one, something is missing. So there's something essential missing for this church. They've stopped short somehow in finishing the task that they should have been completing. They've stopped short of doing the things for which God wants them to do. A little bit like the Titanic, actually. I don't know if you know, but part of the reason why the Titanic sunk is they had these watertight compartments that were supposed to, you know, if one part flooded, it was supposed to keep it contained. But the problem was these water compartment tight compartments went up so far and then they just stopped. And so if the water level got higher than that compartment, it would just flood in and bring the boat down and then flood the next one and bring the boat down further and then do 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 and the whole thing went down. A little bit like those watertight compartments that didn't go high enough, that didn't actually finish their task of making it completely watertight. This church's deeds, their activity in all of its vibrance and vitality, they actually stopped short of where they needed to be. They didn't actually finish the work that God had given them and it led to a fatal flaw. It's a little bit like uh, those mornings when you wake up and you go to empty the dishwasher and realise you stacked it, but you didn't press the on button, you know? You know, you went to do the job, but you didn't do the job. You left something unfinished. And so the whole thing is just pointless. Sardis's works were like a dishwasher that never got switched on. Unfinished. And so you've got to ask a question, don't we? Well, how can a church look so alive on the outside, but be so dead on the inside? How can you look so vibrant and yet fail so hard? Well, it turns out that it's actually pretty easy to do that when we're more focused on our reputation to people than we are the reality before God. When we're more focused on our reputation before people than our reality before God, it's actually pretty easy to fail that hard. See, we can think, when we focus on what other people think about what we're doing, it's not that hard to fool people, is it? It's not that hard to put on appearances. And when people see and they think we're going great and we get that positive feedback, we can think we're going great guns while we're dead in the water. 
As a church, we can focus on size, on numerical growth, rather than focusing on gospel growth. We can think more about, are we filling up our building than are people actually being saved? Are we actually taking the good news of Jesus to people who need it? We can focus on earthly needs, caring for the poor. I guarantee you, if we put all of our energy and resources into caring for the poor and the needy in our community, we would have a great reputation in our community. If we focused on that and then neglected to preach the good news of Jesus. See, we're doing good deeds, but stopping short of the thing that they actually need the most. We can do the same when, when we're focus, so focused on growing the church that we make church more and more attractive, but more and more shallow. Rather than a real focus on discipleship that has substance, is helping people to really grow in Christ. If we make church just fun and encouraging and you leave every week feeling a little bit buzzed up, well, actually our deeds are unfinished. And we look alive, but we're dead. We can focus on the fashionable and the popular. Might seem funny to us, but there are definitely churches who focus on the fashionable and the popular. Just the other week, Keely and I were watching a documentary on a church uh, in the US, and they'd put so much energy and attention into the fashionable and the popular. They had queues going down the street for miles, they had you know, their welcomers were more like bouncers at the door. Uh, they had caps on the numbers. They had reserved seating for the VIP. There were so many celebrities there that they got all the attention and the regular people just felt left out, felt like there was no home for them. Or we could focus on the spectacular and forget about the ordinary. Many churches focus on things like miracles and speaking in tongues and these spectacular things and they look to them as as assurance more than what Jesus has done on the cross as the assurance that we're God's people and we're saved. See all of these different ways that we can stop short and leave the deeds unfinished, leave the dishwasher full of dirty dishes and not switched on. In Matthew 7 Jesus said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, so not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, but Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't We look alive. Haven't you heard our reputation, Jesus? We're that church. But Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So what about us? Where are we in danger of relying on our reputation? Well, I think there are three ways that we here at this church are in danger of relying on reputation. The first is when we rest on our reputation. So what kind of name do you think we have as a church? Trinity Church, Mount Barker, what kind of name, what kind of reputation do you think we have in the community? Go on, not a rhetorical? 
What do you think people think about this church? How would someone describe this church? Bible-based? Bible-based? Sorry. Yeah. Louise? Okay, my question our social constants. So where we might be Bible-based, we might not, they might not see us doing a lot in the community. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's right. At, yep, we're, we're the ones that hold to a biblical worldview that doesn't fit with this, this current worldview that our society, yep. Sounds fair. I think both of those things, I think they're probably the first things come to mind. I think we probably are known as the Bible church, you know. Our Trinity, they're that church that's really big on teaching the Bible and sticking to it, even if it, as Louise has just said, even if it runs uh, counter to our culture. And if that's how we want to be known, there's actually a temptation for us to rest in that. There's a temptation for us, if that's how we want to be known as a church, to hear that reputation and think, oh, good, we're doing our job, great. We can relax, we've made it. It's a danger that we'll kind of tick that box and leave all the other boxes unticked. And we can't afford to leave the other boxes unticked. We can't afford to rest on our reputation and leave our deeds unfinished. That's the first danger. I think the second danger is that we can be confused by reputation. See, every city and every town has its Sardis church. Maybe not a small town, but a town like Mount Barker. Within the hills, within Adelaide, there are Sardis churches. You know those churches with attractive reputations? Whether they're known for their great music or maybe their awesome kids program, their great facilities or, or maybe their accounts and reports of miracles. Maybe it's just the sheer size of, well, they must be doing something right because they're huge. Maybe it's their many great programs. You know, they've got programs for, for creche, for um, all the way through to young adults, and there's singles programs, and there's divorcee care programs, and there's all these programs going. And it's easy for us to look in and be confused by the reputation, and, and we can either get discouraged or we can get jealous. We think, well, why isn't our church like that? I want our church to be like that. Why can't we have those things? Actually, well, maybe. Why don't I, what's the point of staying here? Why don't I just go to that church that has those things? So it's easy for us to confuse the reputation with the reality when actually Sardis tells us that the most spectacular-looking churches are actually most likely to be some of the most dead churches. We need to make sure that we don't rest on our reputation, that we're not confused by reputation. And, and third danger, I think, is that we can focus on our reputation. See, we can start to worry about what people think of us. We can start to do what we can to try and shape and build the kind of reputation we want. We can do this as a church, we can do this as individuals, can't we? We can try and act in certain ways and do things that will change how our world sees us. But the problem with focusing on what people think is that we can't be focusing on what Jesus thinks at the same time. We've taken our eyes off Jesus and we're getting our assurance 
of how vibrant and alive we are from the people around. Now, maybe you know uh, this is something you struggle with, maybe one of these three areas. Maybe, uh, maybe you know you've been keeping up appearances uh, and that your deeds are lacking. Maybe you know that you've been confused by reputation and you found yourself sort of jealous uh, or attracted uh, to other churches with, with big flashy reputations. Or maybe you know you've, you've been lazy, you know, you've left your deeds unfinished because you're resting on your reputation. I'm okay, we're okay, I don't have to worry about it. Well, what does Jesus say to us? Point two, wake up. Have a look at verse two with me. Wake up, says Jesus. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I'll come like a thief and you'll not know at what time I'll come to you. See, we have here good news and a warning, don't we? Like we have pretty much every week. Good news. Because the church that is dead isn't dead to Jesus. Jesus can perform a spiritual resurrection. Have a look at verse 1. How? How can Jesus do this? Who is he? Verse 1. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, that might sound like nonsense, uh, particularly if you just joined us this week. Uh, But a few weeks ago, we saw what this meant in chapter 1 of Revelation. This means that Jesus is the one who sends the Holy Spirit and his angelic messengers to his churches. Jesus the one who raised dead people to life by the power of the Spirit, the one who raised himself to life by the power of the Spirit, the one who continues to raise spiritually dead people to life by the power of the Spirit, he, by that same Spirit, can raise spiritually dead churches back to life. See, to the church that wakes up out of their focus on reputation and their reliance and their confusion on reputation, Jesus will perform CPR. Jesus will raise back to life. When we repent of our trust in our reputation, when we repent in our focus on what people think and not what Jesus thinks, when we remember that he is where life truly comes from and not from the things we do that look vibrant and alive, then Jesus will raise us back to life. He puts his Holy Spirit defibrillator on us and brings us back to life, not by reputation but by reality. But that's not all. Not only does he give us the reality that our phony reputation once claimed, he also gives us a new reputation to go with it. Have a look. Point three, a name worth having. Verse five. The one who is victorious will like them, that is like those in Sardis who haven't rested on their reputation, the one who is victorious will be dressed in white. 
I will never blot out or rub out or cross out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Now, um, if I had my brother, you know, he's a nice guy, but he's, you know, he's not famous, he's not known by anyone, he's just my brother. Now, if I had my brother go up to the, uh, the head of the Red Bull Formula One team and say, hey, I've got a guy, you've, you've got to check him out, you know, he's a great driver, um, you know, his name's Scott, you know, the head of the Red Bull F1 team's just going to go, who is this guy, you know? This means nothing, uh, you know, like, here's my brother trying to rep me to one of the, you know, biggest motor teams in motorsport. It's not going to count for much, is it? But if Lewis Hamilton was to go up and start repping me to the head of Red Bull Motorsports, I think that kind of repping is going to have some impact. They're going to listen. They're going to be very disappointed when they sit me in a car, but they would listen. <laughs> because the one who is repping has some clout. The one who's doing the repping knows what they're talking about. They know fast when they see fast. Well, here in verse 5, the word name, which is used there twice, is the exact same word used in verse 1 and, and is translated there, reputation. See, to the church that had a name of being living but the reality of being dead, to the church that then repents, to the person who repents of that, who comes to Jesus for Jesus to give life, they abandon that name, that reputation before people and they cling to the reality of the life Jesus brings by his spirit. Actually, Jesus will give a name, a reputation. See, he will put our name in the book of life, the book that has the name of every single person who will enter into God's new creation, into the heavenly city in the new earth. A name that will never be rubbed out. And Jesus will stand up, better than Lewis Hamilton, he will stand up in front of God the Father and he will start repping us. Sam is with me. Sam has life. Roma is with me. Roma has life. Duncan is with me. Duncan has life. He is truly alive. Jesus will give us a reputation where it counts. Not before our world, not before our neighbours or our community, but before God the Father. As we head out today, I want to pray and encourage us that we will be people who don't get confused by reputations, who don't rely on our reputation, who don't get focused on the reputation we have with this world. But we will be people who wake up, remember that it is Jesus who gives life and trust in him for life and to rep us before the Father.